0: Welcome to Breakout Investors Ahead of the Curve. Today we have a very special episode as Aaron Warwick interviews Greg Crawford, CEO of Quipped Home Medical, ticker QIPT. But first, a disclaimer no one on this call is an investment advisor, and no one is providing investment advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and before investing in any company, you must do your own research. To find further research and materials about QIPT and other companies, you can go to the online Breakout Investors app at app.breakoutinvestors.com, or look on the Apple or Android stores for our app as well. And now for Aaron and Greg.
1: Well, we're happy to have with us today Greg Crawford, the CEO of Quipped Home Medical, ticker symbol QIPT. And Greg you've been on with us before but you know for some of the people that maybe aren't familiar with the story haven't heard from you before just like to begin maybe you know a quick overview of what the company does for those
0: who are new to this name. Yes thanks Aaron and I appreciate the opportunity here this morning. Uh, So Quipped Home Medical is a a full service uh, clinical respiratory provider. So we provide uh, respiratory devices such as home oxygen, uh, sleep devices, and ventilators to patients inside their homes. Uh, So currently, uh, Quipt operates in 26 states with over 115 locations. Uh, We've got over 270,000 active patient lives under our care, and we've got over 30,000 referring physicians in our network.
1: Okay, Greg. Uh, appreciate that overview. Um, I've been following the business for a while now, and I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing. And and later, I want to talk about some of your organic growth initiatives and how, coming out of COVID, now you guys expect to ramp that up. But before we do that, I want to I really want to talk about your acquisitions. And and the reason I want to do this is I think there's a lack of clarity for some uh, investors or potential investors in your company, and, and they see that. You know, a lot of your growth has been by inorganic means through acquisitions. Can you talk about why acquisitions uh, are a necessary way for this type of business to grow?
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, first off, we operate in a very highly fragmented market. So there's, it's estimated that there's over 6,000, quote, mom and pop type providers out there that could be acquired. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, so it's really fragmented. Uh, But on the other hand, this is really an industry of scale. And that scale is very, very important in that uh, in order to maintain a good margin. And then we also and that Quip really sits in a very unique spot in itself uh, as we uh, continue to expand uh, throughout the U.S. and that we kind of still have a lot of geography to cover there. Really, when we started our uh, acquisition trail in that back in that 2018 range and that we were only in approximately about, seven or eight states in that so given this national expansion that we've had here uh, over the past several years, and that has just really been important for us in that to continue to grow the revenue, of course, and also to continue to grow that margin and that even uh, despite the inflationary pressure and everything that we've seen, it's also very important to obtain uh, national insurance contracts. We believe that uh, national insurance contracts, and that will be very important in that and help fuel our organic growth. And you need to have a lot of geography in order to do that.
1: Yeah. And isn't it also, I mean, we can talk about the national insurance contracts here in a minute as well, but isn't it also true that like, you know, we think about, um, let's just say, you know, a, a company selling software. I mean, they can go into any state in the union and, you know, start selling to a company, but for you guys with these insurance contracts, you know, if you if let's just say you've got uh, you know business in California, uh, that doesn't mean that you can just go open a shop up in Oregon and then, you know, be on an insurance contract. Is that an accurate way to think about it? Is part of the reason for the acquisition is to get some of those insurance contracts?
0: Yes, for sure. And that just on the uh, uh, the commercial side and that the large payers in the U.S. <clears throat> being United Healthcare Aetna, just to name a few there. Typically, those contracts and that are kind of given on a state by state or a region by region type basis uh, to cover a major metro area of some sort. Uh, So they don't give you, quote, a license to hunt in all all, all the other states. So that's why it's important in that in order to go back and and speak to these payers and that about the services that you're providing, the value add uh, for the remote patient monitoring, uh, things that we're doing and that for our patients, and that you have national scale and you can cover and that X number of lives for them, that's the types of things that they want to hear in order to provide you with a national insurance contract. Then that national insurance contract will allow allow you to expand into uh, other uh, states or geographies that you may uh, currently be in. Because right now that is a big barrier of entry and that if you're going into a new state, it is relatively easy to get a, a Medicare number and then typically a Medicaid number and that kind of issued and that uh, to provide for that particular uh, demographics, but it does not cover the commercial uh, payer side. So a, a lot of these hospital systems, when you want to align with them, they want to hear that you can accept and that uh, just about all their insurance plans and that, that their patients yeah. have.
1: Okay. So to that point, um, you really, I think you guys have reached a tipping point. You know, last year, received a national insurance contract with United Healthcare. And the beginning of this year, you guys announced just what, in my opinion, is a a fantastic acquisition, the largest that you've made to date. And it seems to me that that will sort of get you to that next level where you might be able to get some more of those national insurance contracts. You kind of hinted at that. But before we go down that road, let's just talk about that acquisition uh, that you made at the beginning of the year and talk about, you know, what it was and what what possibilities that opens up for you, if you would?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the name of the company and that that we had acquired was based out of Mesa, Arizona, called Great Elm Healthcare. Uh, they were in eight states. Uh, they had just over 70,000 patient lives under their care, and they had over 8,000 referring physicians. They had uh, reven- uh, net revenues of about $60 million and then adjusted EBITDA of about uh, $13 million. Seven of those states that they were in were actually new states for QuipT in that, uh, but we did not have any overlapping uh, service areas uh, at all. So, so we were pretty excited about this deal and that. Uh, they were just about probably ninety percent uh, plus uh, respiratory in that equipment and that, so that aligned with in that uh, QuipT's model and that on the uh, clinical respiratory side. So we believe in that with adding these seven new states and that especially uh, some uh, very uh, attractive geographical regions and that would be in the southwest uh, and the northwest uh, for us. And then we were able to expand in that further west uh, in the Midwest there and kind of bring on some continuum states. Uh, So this to just kind of uh, gain that swath of business there and and really help us build our national scale. And that I mean, we've got a great amount of certainty in that around. Uh, this is going to land us additional uh, national insurance contracts. So, we also believe this will also open up uh, for additional acquisition uh, opportunities, in that, especially from the tuck in type. And that there's been uh, some acquisitions, we'll say, in those particular geographical areas that we've maybe passed on that were just a little bit too small, and that for us to kind of build scale across mm. the country. Uh, and now that'll kind of open those up. So,
1: Fantastic. So, uh, and that's kind of been your bread and butter up to this point, these tuck in acquisitions, you guys have done an amazing job with that. I think, you know, integrating these businesses, you've be usually able to get a, a very attractive price on those uh, smaller acquisitions. And then you've done an excellent job in terms of, you know, providing some of your technologies to end up getting more recurring revenue, expand the margins and so forth. So I look forward to, to seeing some of that in these new states. Um, as as it relates to the uh, larger one with Great Elm, the larger acquisition, it seems to me like you know you you have some really good synergies uh, there, but also you have um, some things that I think that that business is going to add to you guys. You can add certainly there's technologies and processes and stuff that that Quipt had that you can layer on uh, to Great Elms business. But what also does Great Elm add? What are some of the values besides just that revenue and the EBITDA that that they add to you?
0: Yeah, I think one of the uh, big attractive things there would be the opportunity for a cross sell. Uh, they were primarily focused on uh, sleep devices and uh, sleep supplies, uh, so we believe there's uh, ample opportunity for us to cross sell the high acuity uh, respiratory products such as uh, ventilators, and then of course the home oxygen therapy. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that, given us that opportunity in that. And and you know another thing about this is this was really a lot of these mom and pop businesses in that quote, haven't been institutionalized uh, and uh, this particular business and that, uh, you know, we feel like in that, that uh, the team that was running this before had done a a good job of quote, institutionalized it. So a lot of uh, heavy lift in that was done uh, prior to us obtaining the business. So although during the due diligence process with our scale, we were still able to identify about $2 million worth of performer cost savings and synergies and that that we believe we're going to be able to achieve here uh, over uh, the first six months of 23. So, Greg,
1: one of the things I've always kind of bragged on you guys about is, you know, your operational excellence. Um, And you really do not, I mean, not, not to by no means is this a criticism of, of how you guys financially operate. And I think you can see how well you do that by these $2 million of savings that you mentioned that you've already identified. But, you know, unlike a lot of companies that are going around acquiring a lot of other business, you guys are not what I would call, quote, financial engineers. You're really operational. And I think anyone that spent time uh, talking to you knows that, you know, you're, you're really good at the nuts and bolts. You're really good at operating. You, you sort of live for that. But what, you know, I, I in the institutionalization of Great Elm, it seems like they really had some financial guys that were running the, the operation. And from that side of things, is there anything that they add to you or any sort of processes or technologies that they had that'll help quit from that perspective?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good observation, uh, you know, for sure. in that we have been more operationally uh, focused in that, although uh, we feel that we're very strong on the financial side. We use actually a lot of financial reporting and that is help is and data analytics is what helps drive our uh, operational excellence. So one thing and that I know we've been talking about MA to shift a little bit of gears here is I always like to think of us as not a uh, basically a roll-up story, but more of an integration story. Cause I think that's where we really shine as a company and the uh, the team and everything is, is we're just great integrators. And we stay laser focused on these acquisitions and getting them integrated onto our platform and ensure that we've got everybody uh, kind of working off the same systems and things like that. So, but uh, great elm in that also, in that uh, had a lot of things that uh, they were doing on financial reporting and that uh, some robust things that we'll be merging in that to come out of that uh, better uh, than we were before. Uh, and they had uh, certain processes and technology advancements and things that uh, they were further ahead than we were for that size uh, uh, company in that. So when we kind of look at this, Uh, there's a lot of things that we're going to be able to merge uh, that we're in the process of integrating together here that we're going to end up coming out a much better company.
1: Yeah. That's why I was so impressed with this, with this acquisition. I mean, it's, I, I don't think you could have asked for anything better. Um, And so I'm really happy to see what you guys did there. What, you know, another thing as it relates to when you see companies that tend to be more roll-ups, which as you just mentioned, that's not really what you do, but a lot of those companies, what, you know, one of the way that one of the ways that they save money is by cutting employees, but you guys don't, don't do that. You seem to a lot of times now, sometimes there's some, you know, natural attrition, but, uh, you guys don't usually go in and just start cutting the employee base. You still have to have people there locally running it. And, uh, some of your businesses that you've acquired, you've acquired some excellent talent, you know, on the ground. How, how does that with great Elm? what do you see in there in terms of the talent base?
0: Yes, absolutely. We uh, really acquired some very, very seasoned uh, operators in that um, uh, to, uh, that's really running this business, and they have been for a while. and And I think that's part of its financial excellence too. Is so now, in that that team uh, that's been uh, long veterans in the industry of operators are able to align with the rest of our team, uh, and and really we're, we like to say we've kind of taken some of the reins off, and you know now we're allowed to let them kind of expand as being operators, we really understand opportunities um, more than quote the financial engineering that you mentioned. Sure, sure. So, but that's a very good point to bring up in that about uh, that that's never been our uh, motive or anything is when we go to buy a business, is, is that we're looking to cut labor or anything like that. But it truly does uh, just happen through natural attrition. As we get bigger, we get more efficient. Uh, uh, typically uh, people will leave and they just don't have to be replaced. And that's still one of the opportunities in that that's uh, uh, likely yet uh, yet to come with that. And then kind of through every acquisition is that, you know, we feel as each day goes by, we will get more and more efficient. And that as we merge those operations together. Yeah, that's one thing I've appreciated about your business is that you don't do that. And just uh,
1: uh, an aside, a story for for those who haven't heard. You know, when I visited your headquarters in, in uh, one of your main facilities there attached to it, it was interesting to me, you know, when when you were out there, you were showing us around the warehouse and stuff. I mean, guys driving the forklift and everything like that. They knew you. They respected you. You guys talked. I mean, that, I thought that was fantastic to see. You know, just something you don't see with many CEOs today, the size of business that you have, having those personal relationships, the way the employees are treated. And I know when you talk about, you always begin the calls by uh, thanking the team. And I don't think that that's just a formality. It's something that I think is you know, you really mean and and you guys really live in your business. So I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, definitely. We couldn't do it without them. (laughs) They're the
0: the true key to the success. (laughs) Right. No doubt.
1: I wanted to talk about, uh, move on to the organic growth because I think, you know, for whatever reason, um, it seems like investors tend to appreciate that more than the, than the inorganic growth, even though that that's been extremely solid for you, you've got these attractive deals, you've done a great job integrating them. Nonetheless, it seems like the market just loves organic growth, and that's something that you guys have been decent on in the past. You know, before uh, COVID, and even the beginning, you know, more like the eight to ten percent per year organic growth. But you guys are are saying that you're going to match or beat that this year. So, could you talk a little bit about? you know, what what these opportunities are and, and why there are more opportunities come out of COVID and also probably out of the, you know, guys have been on allocation with the sleep devices due to the Philips recall. So just if you could sort of lay that out for us, what your plan of attack is here in, in 2023.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, so historically in that, uh, in 1920, 21, and that, I mean, we've seen organic growth in that high high single digit, nine, 10% range, and that varied in a, a few years there. And in 22, was more in that uh, 5% range or so. And really the main underlying uh, factor in that for us in 22 was the sleep supply allocations. Uh, I mean, that, that hurt the entire industry and, and uh, hurt quipped. Um, And, you know, now kind of real time information here in that uh, January is the first month that uh, we had no allocation on some sort of connected device, I'll say, and that from our largest supplier. So, Uh, They've been able to manufacture in that two different platforms. um, And one of them was removed off of allocation. So, and we've also, and that believe that allocations, you know, are going to increase in the coming months uh, because they've held very, very steady in that. So, so we believe there's a a huge pent up demand out there in the market. Um, Maybe not particularly in that sitting with us or anything, but there's a lot of, we're hearing from a lot of our sleep labs and referral physicians on the sleep side in that, that uh, they weren't sleeping a lot of uh, mild uh, sleep apnea patients in that for a while because they knew they couldn't get set up on the device, so they were really treating the severest, so so we think That's there great. will be a push in that for those to get back in there. Yeah, also- Greg, if
1: I could just uh, interject here, I mean, my understanding is when you say about the allocation, for those who might not understand it, is that, that basically there was a limited supply, and so you guys couldn't get all of the product um, that you needed that there was that you had demand for. Is that is that accurate?
0: That is correct. Yes. And that had uh, really been going on, uh, going on since uh, mid 21, all the way through 22. And so now starting in January,
1: you were able to get what you needed. Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to make sure that was clear for those who might not be super familiar with this, with this story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, was, has been an ongoing um, problem in that with a supply chain on sleep devices uh, since a a major uh, recall from one of the major manufacturers. Just to give a little bit more background on that, we also in yes. an, that okay, yeah, uh, another uh, kind of uh, tailwind in that uh, we have going towards our back here, and that has been the expansion of our sales force, and that that's really been challenging for us over the past couple years. Uh, uh, really, kind of during the height of COVID, in that uh, uh, we lost salespeople; uh, a lot of people weren't working. Kind of the whole job market and things like uh, things like that. Uh, and, a, and a lot of our, uh, most of our call touch points in that uh, had restrictions or were closed for two plus years. And and we really started seeing those restrictions and that uh, uh, being removed in that in, you know, mid 22. So that's when we really started back on our hiring, uh, actually the recruiting and hiring of additional sales reps. That was kind of our third time and that uh, really since uh, COVID had ramped up that we had started in pause. So I uh, hear when we started in 22, of course, and that we haven't had to pause again. So we continue to add and expand into continual Uh It usually takes about six to nine months in that for a rep to contribute. So we're just starting to see some of the uh, first signs of those reps uh, contribute that were hired on, in the back half of uh, 22. So we think as we get out into 23 with the additional hires that have been onboarded towards the end of 22 and here recently, and they start contributing, that's going to help, uh, you know, fuel that organic growth. Another one uh, that we have too is, uh, would be CPI increases in that, that we received uh, from um, CMS. Uh, so those are going, of course, those are going to add right to revenue there. So, and, that's yeah, first- and that
1: sounds like, so just going back to kind of what you had mentioned about the salespeople, what's impressive to me is that, Uh, your adjusted EBITDA margins uh, really expanded in the, in your um, fiscal fourth quarter. I think they were what, 21% or something like that. And that includes very little contribution from those salespeople that you hired. As you mentioned, there's, you know, six to nine month lag between when you hire them and when you start to recognize revenue. So what's your expectation there? I mean, you, with uh, the margins and, and as you said, the, the CPI, the increase to the, uh, Medicare reimbursement rates. It sounds like it's going to be roughly on average around 8% increase for, um, for your products that you sell. And, and that's about roughly 35, 40% of your business. So what, what do we, what should we expect on those
0: margins? Yeah. So last quarter in that, our, our, uh, margin that came in at about 22% in that. So we did see it creep up there. Uh, so we did see it creep up there a little bit, um, and, you know, we, we expect to uh, maintain it in that uh, at a minimum in that uh, within that range there and that if if not increase prior to inflation, if you go back and look at some of our historical financials in uh, uh, the second half of our fiscal 21, we were encroaching on that 22, 23 uh, percent before we get yeah. uh, inflation in that when we were scaling towards about 100 million dollars so. Uh, we've always thought that scale was going to be, uh, you know, as I mentioned, extremely important in this business. So, right. but I do want to clarify that uh, eight, that uh, just over eight percent is only on our uh, Medicare and our Medicare right. Advantage portion, which is about thirty-five percent or so of our overall revenue. And yeah,
1: which is still I mean, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, uh, and especially because it it sounds like from what you guys said on that call, which by the way is. Um, that
0: was the uh, December thirty one. Yes, that was our uh, our physical Q one, which ended twelve thirty one. Then we reported. Okay. I think it was on two fourteen or two fifteen. I'm not yeah. sure the exact date. Yeah, okay. yeah, it was it was Valentine's Day. Now I remember. Um, that. Yeah, it was actually two weeks today.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, that was uh, my understanding from what you guys said on that call. Is that you know, and and I've tried to explain this to um, people that f- follow my work on this name too, is that, you know, the CPI adjustments are sort of a lagging indicator, meaning that it's after you guys see inflation that, you know, Medicare adjusts. So they're kind of catching up from what you've seen. But in terms of right now, you've kind of seen that inflation slow down, haven't you? So this is really a, a huge benefit in that respect.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that we believe uh, in our business and that the peak inflation is uh, kind of ran through in that. So uh, we think this is, uh, you know, really going to continue to help our margin. The only thing I would uh, you know say to kind of offset that will be as we continue to expand the sales force and how soon sales kind of catch up. We always try to keep a balance with that uh, we traditionally have in the past. But yeah. And then we've you know, we still have the. most recent acquisition and at the fully integrate and see the benefit of that. So we just, we've got a high confidence level in that around at a minimum of maintaining this margin, if not uh, growing that margin as we get further into our fiscal 23. So
1: you kind of mentioned, touched on this before, um, additional tuck in acquisitions. Um, I'm sure that there's some in regions where you've already operated that are of interest to you. You specifically mentioned turning down some in The new regions after the Great Elm uh, acquisition opens that up back up to you now since they weren't necessarily, you know, worth the time and effort on their own. But now that you're already there, could you talk a little bit about what your
0: expectations are with some of these tuck in acquisitions? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We still um, uh, have Um, a full pipeline of acquisitions in that Uh, we kind of uh, really in uh, 22 and that uh, we were was our largest year for acquisitions in fact we had closed about uh, five in the first half of the year for a total of about uh, 38 40 million dollars or so in top line revenue and then we jumped right into this uh, great elm that had closed in january and really during that time frame our our goal was was to in order to continue our operational excellence was to integrate everything we had bought in early 22 and then focus on the due diligence and the planning, and that for the great elm. So all of that work and that was really kind of done in our, I'll say, our quiet period there in '22, and then yeah. we kind of start '23, um, you know, off to the races. So so we really went pencils down, uh, quote, during that time frame, in that with all of our tuck-in type acquisitions. We-
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember, Greg. Just a quick aside. I mean, a lot of people. I was asking. A lot of people <laughs> were asking you, asking me what are they doing? Oh, there's no acquisitions. What's going on? And then, <laughs> and then you know, the first trading day of, of 2023, we all figured out <laughs> what was going on. <laughs> yes. So we guys did a good job of of doing that and keeping it quiet. And and uh, everybody was
0: extremely pleased once we found out what was going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people. It was, it was a tough communication time for us, we'll say it in that. But uh, we knew we were going to We were going to make the goal; that was for sure. So, yeah. uh, But we've really kind of picked back up all those deals, uh, you know, now that we have of really all different sizes and that. So, like I said, we really wanted to laser focus because as we kind of started the call here, the integration and that is extremely important in that in this uh, model here. So, so we wanted to ensure that everything was integrated. And then kind of move uh, right into closing, and that this recent acquisition. So, yeah. so now we've picked back up those deals, and expect to have a uh, you know a busy 23 here. It's always been tough for us to uh, time when an acquisition is going to close, is because part of our model, oh, sure. part of our success, has been disciplined, and we just will not deviate from being disciplined. Yeah, absolutely, and that's
1: again another thing that I bragged on you guys about is just your your discipline. Uh, it's it's good to see that it's good to hear you're still committed to it it's not like you know growth at all costs you guys are very systematic about about how you do these acquisitions and and make sure that everything gets integrated so what what are the uh you know in, in terms of the price i think the only thing you know that i don't want to even call it a criticism but and i think it's certainly understandable given what you bought you did pay a higher multiple in terms of the uh, revenue multiple or ebitda multiple was like six times versus some of these tuck-in acquisitions we've been used to seeing smaller multiples. Is that that smaller multiples sort of going to be the expectation for these smaller tuck-ins, or is the market just moved to where where you have to pay more?
0: Yeah, it's actually a good question. In that, I would say that uh, companies uh, in that twenty million and under top-line revenue in that. I mean, we're still. Uh, seeing multiples in the four to just over five times kind of prior to any synergies. Uh, That Mm -hmm. market really hasn't moved. The market for larger acquisitions in this, there's a whole pocket of them out there. I'll say in this 20 to 80, up to $100 million top line revenue. uh, We haven't, we really haven't seen any of those deals close and the expect, and typically they have representation too. So. We're, 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 kind of still seeing multiples, you know, expectations in that seven to nine times, you know, but at the same time, we're not seeing the deals close. So we feel, uh, you know, right now we've really kind of set where the market is even for a larger deal, at least up to yeah. this, you know, 60 $80 million with closing this deal at a six times multiple. And then of course we were able to get about a, uh, a full turn in that of synergies even, even, even out of this one. So. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Final thing I want to, talk about before maybe we get into um, things that are risks or that you know things that um, worry you as the CEO I want to talk about this national insurance contracts a little bit and what are your expectations there you did say that you think that the great elm opens up some other opportunities what should we be thinking about there in terms of uh, some expansion of national insurance contracts
0: yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, we, we expect to have, uh, at least one and that here, uh, you know, in the near, near to medium term, if not sooner, uh, we we've got several that we're working on. Uh, so we do believe in that this has a lot of upside in that for us is, uh, kind of negotiating these national insurance contracts. This, this doesn't only allow us to really kind of uh, expand into uh, new geographical areas too and that there's a lot of administrative burden in that that's uh, kind of removed with having these contracts versus, you know, maybe having uh, 27 different uh, United Healthcare contracts yeah, the I billing margins kind yeah. of managed too. So so there is some administrative cost in that that we've seen, uh, you know, come down in that and just more efficiencies created throughout the billing. So, So these are really just a win-win in that as the company matures uh, and a lot of other scaled nationals and that they've already went through this, uh, you know, so that that's not something, So I I think this is very specific in that to quit just because of where we are and the life cycle of our company. You know, that actually brings up one more thing I want to talk about that I didn't think about
1: asking you before. And and that is... um... As it relates to some of the administrative burden and things like that with these insurance contracts, one of the things that you guys have done real well as you integrate some of these companies is uh, getting recurring revenue that that maybe these uh, smaller companies aren't getting because uh, their patients don't realize necessarily what all their insurance will pay for. Could you kind of talk about what you guys have in place in terms of the resupply program and how that helps with your recurring revenue? which is like, I think you said it's, you know, 77% or something like that as of the last quarter.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, uh, a, a lot of the uh, recurring revenue and that, that uh, kind of will increase in that typically immediately after acquisition. And that will be on the resupply when we get them onto our platform with our uh, outreach programs and that that we have in place and that whether it be uh, through texting, email app, uh, live call, uh, so we really uh, work to educate these patients and let them know that they're eligible for supplies, uh, get them signed and and ensure that we're maximizing and that uh, what the patient's eligible for. Uh, and a lot of these smaller companies and that are, uh, they just typically don't have a supply program like that. And a lot of patients don't even know they're eligible to, uh, to refresh their supplies. And I think that's, that is one of the areas in that with the Great Elm and that, that uh, we're, uh, Pretty close to going live with here, and that will be getting them onto our uh, resupply uh, program. And that, so that was one of the things that uh, they had not made the investment in. And in that, wow, wow, into these that's, um, boy, that's areas, so. Yeah, that's fantastic to
1: hear. <laughs> really? that. You, I mean, that kind of revenue and didn't have that pro. Oh, wow. That's, yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Some pretty low hanging fruit on that front. Yeah. That's, just, that's just strictly you know, uh, it's just based off of what we've seen historically, considering you know, we've, you know, we've probably done this 14, 15 different times. So.
1: And so my understanding of that is that uh, your resupply program would basically be that patients are eligible for new supplies. And prior to uh, them being on your resupply program under, you know, your, the previous company that you acquired, they didn't know they were eligible. And, and the only way that they could actually get a new supply would be to go into the store, call the store, whatever, and say, Hey, you know, this product seems like I need something new. And then they would, the store would be like, oh yeah, you're eligible for it. But there was no notification that they could get that supply. So maybe that they would have been eligible for it, say every six months, but they're only coming in every year or two. Is that an accurate way to think about it?
0: Yeah, yes. And that, and even just to break it down a little bit further in that is uh, typically we we may see in an acquisition and that to where a patient's ordering one and a half times a year, and as a company in that, uh, you know, we're kind of encroaching in that. And some of our business units that they're having order th- uh, over three times a year that they're ordering. Uh, and then also that, uh, you know, we've seen a significant increase in that in the uh, dollar value of the box going out where, you know, we ensure that we're putting the maximum amount of cushions and that that the patient's eligible for. They're maximizing uh, the box and ensure they're replacing all their filters and tubing uh, two beans and things like that so we're able to get the value of that box that goes out too so it's going out more frequently and at a higher revenue
1: well thank you for that explanation I just want to conclude I mean I'm extremely bullish on on your company um, what you guys are doing I think that's obviously come through on this on this podcast as well as you know, the information I've been sharing in articles on Seeking Alpha on our platform, breakout investors and so forth. But at the same time, you know, there's no company that doesn't have risks. So if you could maybe talk a little bit about some of the risks, some of the things that keep you up at night, some of the things you guys want to improve, I'd,
0: I'd appreciate concluding with that. Yeah, sure. I think one of the biggest risk in that uh, right now, I mean, we feel one off is, is that we've really been de risk in that from uh, uh, the near and medium term anyway on any uh, future uh reimbursement risk in that. We just feel we've got some great tailwinds there. I think one of the biggest risks in that for us and really for the industry would be uh, audits in that. I mean, we see a lot of audits in that that uh, we deal with, we've been dealing with for uh, the past three to five years or so. Uh, so I think that's always a risk in that for anyone in healthcare. And I, I truly, I think right now that's our uh, biggest risk in that that we have. I think even one of our peers in the industry, had kind of went through something very similar with uh, the OIG, uh, uh, which they came out of it on the other end, which is not surprising because it was very, very good business and uh, they had uh, uh, very good documents in that from my knowledge. So, um, But I see that as always being a risk in uh, this particular industry that we're in and especially in healthcare as a whole. Well, Greg, thank you so much.
1: For your time we appreciate it and uh, good luck here moving forward with this integration of Great Elm and, and the, look forward to the continued success uh, this year and beyond.
0: thank you I appreciate the opportunity everyone have a great day some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views in this podcast expressed are those of the speakers not breaking investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither breakout investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast any in liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor, known as providing investment advice. For investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.